0: good evening just before the 615 sit i was out uh uh, walking and maybe some of you noticed just the beauty of the sunset tonight it was so striking and it radiating out into the clouds seeing the 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 uh the tendrils of the color entering into the clouds and then peering into it through that foreground of the yellow and the orange leaves. So beautiful. And the reason I mention it is just this reminder that that, uh, it's a beautiful night on planet Earth tonight. And sometimes we can forget that. Yes, it's a troubled world and it's beautiful. Last night Rebecca shared with us some reflections on reaching this unshakable liberation of the heart really through cultivating this capacity to be with the be with dukkha. And in particular last night to be with this dukkha dukkha. And tonight I want to compliment that that Dharma talk to talk to you about reaching this unshakable liberation of the heart through cultivating this capacity to be with the beautiful, the wholesome. Because what I've found in my practice and in my life is that it's actually just as challenging to truly be with that which is wholesome and beautiful. and and i just want to acknowledge that at the beginning that it's i've found it tough to to deeply open up to the joys in my life and the goodness in my life i remember at one point in my life i noticed that it was easier to take in the negative comments people would say to me than the positive ones and maybe you've experienced that it's probably around because there was this this sense of self that was so rigid around um of not being good and I needed to train I needed to train to open up to just that just to positive comments and yeah we're here to to cultivate the capacity to be with the challenges and the difficulties the dukkha dukkha in your life in your retreat but also to the joy the, the happiness to what I'm calling to the beautiful and in particular, to beautiful qualities of the heart and mind. Which also is a kind of capacity. And I'd like to begin with an example of this. And it's the example of uh, the late uh, Adi Rinpoche, who was uh, one of the great Tibetan practitioners of the 20th century. He was uh, the teacher of a, a well-known uh, uh, Lama in Vipassana circles Sokni Rinpoche, who was the main teacher of, of Sokni Rinpoche and this comes from a book about him that was published it was actually published after he died if it was uh, published when he was living it could have been difficult for him while he was living in occupied Tibet at that time so they published it after he passed away and the title of the book is Freedom and Bondage it's a, a striking book It's it's about his time before um, he was uh, put into prison in, in uh, occupied Tibet. And he was in prison for about 20 years. And j- just a remarkable man. Towards the beginning of the book, he's describing their attempt uh, to escape into India. And during this journey, they were um, literally being hunted down by the Chinese, by the Chinese army and being shot at. So, of course, it was a time of great fear and great difficulty and challenge. So they were running from one place to another during these two years trying to seek safety and and trying to get over into India to safety. Um, And it it was interesting. So in the midst of this, he, uh, he noticed the, the areas that he, they were passing were these places where these, uh, the great masters of his lineage and also other great masters in, in Buddhism had practiced in these little hermitages in these caves. And his, his heart just leapt with joy. He says, arriving at such places, I felt, okay, I'm being chased now, but so what? Let, whatever's ha- what, let whatever happens happen. It was just so wonderful to be able to visit such places. Isn't that striking? (laughs) I mean, here he is being chased by the Chinese, and yet he has this ability to open up to that which is beautiful, that which is pleasant. To me, this is a testimony of the depth of his practice. Yeah, may it be so for all of us as well. And I want to point out that this is uh, a big part of this, this practice is, and this path are these wholesome states of heart, these wholesome states of mind, these beautiful states. Annie, on the first night, uh, referred to this uh, discourse, the Chetna Sutta, which is found in the numerical discourses. And it's this discourse she was describing as that this, this path is a natural unfolding. It naturally unfolds. And you might remember these words, these, these qualities that that she was repeating as she was going through this. Right? So one who is virtuous or ethical doesn't need to say, Let joy arise in me. It naturally arises. And then from joy, what naturally arises is rapture. From naturally what arises from rapture is tranquility. From tranquility, pleasure. And then a kind of collecting of the mind. These beautiful qualities of the heart, these beautiful qualities of the mind. It's the same thing in the Anapanasati Sutta, the, the discourse on the mindfulness of breathing. This description of just in the breath, the description of experiencing pleasure, tranquility, rapture, and gladness. Or the Buddha's emphasis around the practice of renunciation that the practice of renunciation is this movement. It's a movement towards a lesser happiness, towards a greater happiness. It's moving away from a lesser contentment to a greater contentment. This is part and parcel of what we're doing here, opening up to the beautiful, opening up to the wholesome. And it, I want to be honest with you about this as well. I mean, the the first years of my practice were, when I look back at them, I think they were just filled with darkness. And if somebody were to describe to me this chaitanya Sutta, it would make no sense to me because I don't think I felt any joy or happiness or gladness or tranquility. It was challenging. It was difficult. And I think it's a big question. Actually, I was just in New Mexico and we were... Uh, studying this very this very discourse, the Chaitanya Sutta, and, and and somebody asked, I think, an important question. I said, I have all kinds of days. For example, the first part of this this discourse, I have many days where I feel like I'm living an ethical life, and I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling the joy. I'm not feeling the love, the the pleasure of of being ethical. What's up with this? What am I missing? And you might feel that at times on retreat too. <laughs> Where's the gladness of just following the five precepts? Or the joy that's arising from being here? So, hopefully, we can parse this apart and, and uh, understand this a l- little bit more clearly. And what I want to point out tonight is that I feel that, that this is a skill, it's a training to open to the beautiful, to the joyful. We need to train into it. It's a, it's a cultivating a kind of capacity. Because it's so difficult, there's a difficulty in this, there's a challenge. And I'd like to share with you a poem that I feel uh, expresses this challenge that we have around the wholesome, around the beautiful. And it's a, a poem by Allison Luterman. She begins. I'm scared to confess to happiness. Actually, I just want to stop there because I I, I find that such a powerful first line. Being scared to confess to happiness. I'm scared to open to it. I'm scared to allow it. And she continues I'm scared to confess to happiness. I know the jealous fates in their dolorous heaven how they love to feast on the heart. I know they've already marked the spot where one of us dies and the other stands open-mouthed and uncomprehending as dirt closes over our one song. But for just this moment, I want what I have. So again, I'm scared, I'm scared to confess to happiness. I know the jealous fates in their dolorous heaven. Dolorous being a heaven filled with sadness. How they love to feast on the heart. I know they've already marked the spot where one of us dies and the other stands open-mouthed and uncomprehending as dirt closes over our one song. But But for just this moment, I want what I have. I feel this beautifully expresses the challenge of opening to happiness. And then the turn at the end of the, the poem, just for this moment, I want what I have. The beautiful way to express contentment. Right? The opposite of contentment is the, the, the reactivity that you might notice that's arising in your mind on this retreat. Wanting what you don't have or wanting more of what you have. And there it is, the opening of just this moment, I want what I have. This is a skill, this is a training. This is an art that we're trying to cultivate, to, to refine. And I, I wanna point out a little bit about what we're up against And I I think some of this is just because of the modern lives we live. And that's this uh, this situation that sometimes for some people, there's this habitual tendency in us. You could say it's an habitual tendency really in our physiology. Where there's a a subtle sense of this threat response being, um, uh, that switch being on. And that results in this feeling of being just a little bit on guard. And then what happens in our physiology is that when we begin to allow in that which is pleasant, that which is beautiful, what the system is naturally going to do is it's going to settle. It's going to begin to settle. But a lot of times that feeling of settling is is over coupled with, it's connected with, this isn't safe. And it's connected with this isn't safe because we're letting down our guard. And then when the system starts to feel like you're letting down your guard, it wants to bring up your guard again, because that's where it feels safe, is is being on guard with a little bit of this threat response. So it's complicated. We can start to relax. We can start to open. We can start to settle. But then the system, you could say, gets scared. It's, It's scared to confess. It's scared to confess to happiness. And our modern living can set this up where we are trained. There's a, there's a training in the physiology of having this subtle threat response there. So I just want to point out what we're doing here is, 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 uh, is wonderful for, for healing this, healing our physiology. And when that starts to, to unfold, it, it, it can start to unfold towards awakening too. Both of these flavors of, of healing and awakening. And more in Buddhist terminology, you could say that really what this is, this, this habitual tendency to be on guard is just, it's just a subtle form of reactivity. These subtle forms of grasping and aversion and delusion. It's the same thing, just, just different language. And again, you might notice this. And when I, when I read the, the, the Pali discourses, I, I feel that the Buddha was on to this whole mammalian physiology thing. <laughs> he had a sense of what it was to be a mammal. And I think this is why he, he got this dynamic that I'm talking about. And he saw that this is a training, a training in, in the wholesome and the beautiful. In a discourse, uh, in the middle-length discourse, is the Subha Sutta. Uh, Subha was a, um, uh, a young Brahmin. And the Buddha is sharing with him this, this path. And he says to, to Subha, he says, Who, here, Subha, a practitioner, and just to point out here, let me give a backstory a little bit, just to point out how this is a training of, of what I'm talking about. And this is, he's talking about ethics here, but it, it applies to many of these beautiful qualities of mind. Here, Subha, a bhikkhu, or a practitioner, is a speaker of truth, thinking, I am a speaker of truth. This practitioner gains inspiration in the meaning, gains inspiration in the dharma, gains gladness connected with the dharma. And it is that gladness connected with the wholesome that I call an equipment of the mind. So you might hear in just these few lines, we hear this this training that, oh, I value honesty and I am honest. And I allow myself to gain inspiration in that. I I take in the meaning of that. I allow, allow the gladness to come from that. And it's a kind of equipment of the mind. It stabilizes the mind when I engage in that training. So I wanna go into the specific, some of the specific skills that we're here to cultivate in order to confess to happiness, in order to open to the beautiful, to open and allow the wholesome. One is, is just to begin to notice it when it's around, when we're engaged in something that's wholesome or when wholesome states of mind are arising. Now I wanna start with first when we're engaged in something that's wholesome. I remember when I first started teaching, I was co-leading a retreat with a fellow uh, Dharma teacher. <clears throat> and at the end of the retreat, he turned and said to me, Brian, we just did a really good thing. And I think I probably said something like, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and he immediately turned around to me, actually very sternly, and he said, listen, we just did a really good thing and it's really important for you to, to take that in. That was a very important uh, learning moment for me. And the reason is because I was noticing that I was letting all these beautiful things that I was engaged in, these wholesome things that I was engaged in, just to pass by without savoring them, without actually showing up for them. And it was great. We, um, you know, I, I think I've spent the last, uh, he, he just retired a, a couple of years ago. This is Eric Kolvig. Some of you might know this teacher. And uh, we've been teaching the last 10 years together. And it's such a delight when we finish teaching a retreat just to turn to each other and just say, you know, we did a really good thing. And just to take that in. There are so many good things that you're doing here. And just to take uh, some time to reflect on that and to savor it. And what, what I'm talking about is just a few few minutes. It could be in the evening. Sometimes I love to do that in the evening. It could be a part of, if somebody has a gratitude practice, to take in the good things that you're involved in. It could be just this simple uh, thing that we were talking a little bit about this morning, is the precepts, following the five precepts. what a beautiful thing to engage in in this world. Today, most of you probably have not said a harmful thing to another person. <laughs> Do you know what a radical, radically different world we would live in if we lived in a society that was simply following just that? That's powerful. What a tragic thing not to take in today. I mean, me, myself, when I reflect on that, I'm just so grateful to be here, to be a part of that. And then on a deeper level, level, to be cultivating mindfulness, to be cultivating maybe a quality of equanimity, to be cultivating loving kindness, to be going through this struggle. What a beautiful thing for the world that we're living in. And it's important to be here for it, to know that you're doing a good thing. And it's not only noticing on this bigger level the things that you're doing day to day that are so beautiful, that are so wholesome, but it's also the states of mind that are arising moment after moment that so often we don't see and it's true, I, I want to point out, in some ways, we, again, have this physiology that is more conditioned to see that which is going wrong, that which is difficult and challenging. right? Because it's, it's allowed our, you could say, our species to keep on going, to notice those, because it allows us to know where the danger is. And so this does need to be a cultivation to take in this, this other quality. Because I, I know... Uh, probably all of you have a great skill of seeing what's not going right. <laughs> Can you take in the other, the other aspect? There's one quote around this. Somebody said that they'd like to make a bumper sticker out this, out of this, this prayer that goes, "Lord, help me accept the truth about myself, no matter how good it is." <laughs> Yeah, may it be so. <laughs> and again, the, the Buddha is talking about this. We find this again in the four foundations of mindfulness, in the Satipatthana Sutta, in the, this third foundation. And I just want to read some of it with you just to, to point out uh, this quality. And again, to remember this, this term bhikkhu, which uh, really is a monk, refers to really to, to all practitioners. And how bhikkhu's does a abide contemplating mind as mind? Here a understands mind affected by lust as mind affected by lust. And mind unaffected by lust as mind unaffected by lust. A understands mind affected by hate as mind affected by hate. And mind unaffected by hate as mind unaffected by hate. Abiku understands mind affected by delusion as mind affected by delusion, and mind unaffected by delusion as mind unaffected by delusion. Do you hear the the, the heart of uh, this contemplation of contemplating mind is mind? This third foundation. Half of it half of it is about the wholesome. Half of it is when the mind isn't lost in reactivity. This is a training that the Buddha is encouraging. You find it in other places of the four foundations of mindfulness. When the the Buddha is encouraging us to engage in this practice around the five hindrances, it's not only seen, which you'll you'll get a Dharma talk on this and I think in a couple nights, it's not only seen when these hindrances are there, it's seen when they're absent. It's noticing when these wholesome qualities of mind, like the seven factors of enlightenment, are arising. And how to have the skill to allow them to continue to arise. So it's this invitation of can you begin to notice this? So how to refine this noticing in terms of states of mind? It's it's really what you're probably already doing is is checking in with the quality of mind that's that's happening every so often, or the attitude of the mind. Uh, For many of you, you probably already have a sense of some of the subtlety around subtle grasping or subtle aversion popping up, or even when there's a diluted quality there at times. Can you flip it around a little bit? Can you notice when there's just a subtle calmness there? When I look out onto all of you right here, there's calmness in this room. There's quite a bit of calmness. (laughs) Can you notice that? It might have a quality of tranquility, a little bit of of an ease in that. At times, joy might begin to bubble up really subtly. Can you begin to notice this? And all it is is checking in with, with the willingness to see this other side when the mind isn't affected by these other states and there's these wholesome qualities of mind. The willingness to confess to confess to happiness. And there's so many. It could be uh, moments of mindfulness. You notice there's a quality of curiosity or investigation. A little bit of energy. The mind is collected a bit. A quality of okayness, a quality of, of equanimity. And just as last night Rebecca uh, shared with us that she had this list of all these different flavors flavors of anger wasn't that great? <laughs> was it great and getting to hear some of what was on her list, just to remember that it can be the same thing with wholesome states it's not just anger that can have so many different flavors uh, other other qualities like loving kindness can have so many different flavors, for example. I remember I did a month long retreat where all I did for the entire month was the practice of loving kindness. It was fascinating to see the different flavors of metta, of loving kindness that would would arise. Sometimes the heart felt very full and almost exuberant, bursting with this quality of, of kindness, and it had an energy to it. Other times it was very subdued and calm. At other times, I could feel the loving-kindness blend in with a quality of compassion if there was a little bit of suffering in, in the, the object of the loving-kindness. At other times, it had the stability to it because the equanimity was really at the forefront, intermixed with the kindness. Can you become curious about all these different flavors around these wholesome qualities of heart? So the first skill, noticing. Noticing when wholesomeness is there. Noticing when beauty is there. And then what needs to come with this skill of noticing is the second skill, uh, the skill I'm gonna call savoring. Being able to savor that which is wholesome. It could start with the external things. Just as I was describing at the beginning of the talk, can you savor the beauty? of this planet that we're on. It, it really is, it's a beautiful day on planet Earth. Please, let's, let's don't pass it by. And then other things that, that might uh, have a pleasantness to it. Can you contact the pleasantness of the, of the breathing and to savor it, to open, to allow, allow it? The pleasantness that might be there in the walking meditation. And part of the skill of savoring is getting to notice how it's different from grasping, because that's what it gets entangled with, and that's what we get confused around. Is is seeing that savoring is uh, the same as grasping, but they're very, very different. And the only thing, only way to clarify this is through your practice, is becoming curious about this. I remember one vivid experience that happened on a, a month-long concentration retreat. That, that really helped clarify this distinction for me really on a, a subtle level but a clear level and it was it happened after I'd done a long sit and I was walking in this really this beautiful forest just after it had rained and my my heart and mind were in this place that were really quite stable and receptive as a result of the the concentration practice I was doing and and the beauty was. Uh, So incredibly pleasant. And what happened is this this experience of when I was seeing just this beauty, it felt like my heart was being torn open. It was so beautiful. It's really incredible. It it was a a new experience for me around uh, beauty. And then it was interesting. What started to happen after it, it, this kind of this this tearing, uh, I, I felt that for a little while, I could I could feel my body. It was like my body beginning to wrap itself or contract around the experience. This wanting to hold on to it, even before a thought arose, it was like w- just just wanting to hold, hold the pleasant. And of course, what was so helpful is once the mind, since the mind was so sharp, just the mindfulness of just noticing, oh, this is grasping, oh, this is what grasping's like, here it is, it was able to release and come back to simply savoring, to simply being with. And I want to point out, this is a very simple example. <laughs> Most of the time when I do this, I have the the mindfulness of this, uh, of, of what's going on. And it's more complex, the the holding the 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 subtle grasping still might be there there might be the story around it wow i really need to go on a backpack trip after this retreat whatever whatever the story is that's filled with the grasping the clinging but again there can be start to be a space between these two so that the savoring can begin to open so this this takes a curiosity of what is savoring what is this quality of opening surrendering allowing compared to grasping and clinging. The only way to figure that out is to clarify it through your curiosity and your practice. When we're exploring this, some things to keep in mind that I think are important is that I, I'm, this is not an invitation to go out there and search for pleasant experiences or try to make some kind of pleasant experience happen. There's a word for that, it's called grasping. (laughs) Remember, we don't get to choose. I'm simply um, inviting you to show up for that which is pleasant, that which is wholesome, and to open to it, to surrender to it when it appears. And again, that's why I appreciated Annie sharing that, that discourse with us the first night, that this is a natural unfolding. Someone who's actually virtuous and trained in this way that I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, just to refer again to the beginning of this discourse, someone who is deeply ethical, they don't need to say, make joy arise in me. If you can start to contact, for example, being ethical on this retreat, joy will arise. We're just giving the space for these to unfold. We're not making it happen. And it's just the way it is. Sometimes experience will be filled with the beautiful and the wholesome and the pleasant. Sometimes it'll just be what Rebecca was talking about last night, duka duka. (laughs) This is the unfolding of the lives that we've been given. So again, these two skills, the skill of noticing and the skill of savoring. And when those start to really uh, infuse our practice, what can start to happen is this, this: more of this opening to the beautiful, to the wholesome, and really landing them. And then the last skill also, uh, and again, some people have more of a propensity to, towards this than than others, is again, feeling it in your body, feeling when, when the body is, when you're moved by something that is beautiful, whether it be the joy or the tranquility that's coming from your meditation, or just the pleasantness of feeling the, the, the walking meditation, to have a sense of that on the bodily level, to open, to allow, and to surrender to that. I guess I, I want to emphasize this uh, one more time. I, in some ways, I'm, I'm just saying one thing many different ways. <laughs> so I uh, I used to do a, quite a bit of um, uh, trauma work with people, uh, uh, less so now. And one of the things it was a was called a more of a somatic based approach. So really a bottle a, a body approach. And one of the things I was taught, and one of the things I started to see was that. If I was working with someone and if we could get to a place where we could really land something that was wholesome and beautiful in their lives, in their body, in a way that they could really hang out with it without grasping onto it and just savoring it, it was amazing. Once that piece piece was there in a really powerful way, it's like the body could move through so much difficulty if we could really land it. So I just wanna name that there's something really uh, powerful about uh, what I'm sharing with you, just on the healing level. And then again, I think uh, in terms of this quality of awakening. I also wanna point out that this fits into um, uh, a, a broader picture. And it's not in opposition of the other aspects of the practice that we'll probably be emphasizing. That we want to gain these skills of noticing, noticing the wholesome and savoring it, feeling it in the body. And this goes hand in hand with still seeing these three characteristics, the characteristics that, that all experience is impermanent, it's unreliable or it's unsatisfactory, and it's not me. And I name this because we're not trying to make these beautiful qualities, these wholesome qualities of the heart into permanent states. So it's not like, okay, I want to try to get to a place where I only feel happiness, where I only feel loving kindness. That's not what this is about. We actually can't do that because they they come and go. And what follows along with that, it's not about coming to a place where I claim these, where I say, oh, this is who I want to be. This is who I am. I want to be the infinitely eternal kind person or compassionate person. We need to see the nature of these wholesome qualities as well. I I think then we can start to have a different relationship to these, which can be really quite beautiful. This different relationship, I want to share with you a story again from this month-long retreat I did practicing loving-kindness. What I began to notice when I had more of a sense of the impermanent nature of loving-kindness, that it it flows, it comes and goes, and that it's not me, is that I could allow myself to begin to have this feeling of that I'm just this container, I'm just this vessel. And through practice, I can start to be this container which these wholesome qualities of heart, these beautiful qualities of mind, begin to, f- to flow through me. And to me, that frame really fit with my practice. In some ways, I'm here to surrender to loving kindness. I'm here to surrender to mindfulness so it can use me as a vehicle of bringing it into the world. Then it really has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with creating a self. It has nothing to do with, with making it permanent. It has more to do with getting out of the way and allowing. And we can allow when we also have this other piece of really deeply understanding these three characteristics of our experience. I also want to point out uh, a little bit of this. Uh, this is tricky to talk about, but a little bit of a leaning of leaning into the pleasant or the beautiful qualities that are connected with this practice. And so, what do I mean by that? It's it's the pleasant experiences that are connected with the wholesome. So, for example, the the sunset or a, a great meal. There could be joy that arises from that, which is really great. And that's, that's a wholesome quality, the, the, if, if we can be with that, to savor that rather than to grasp onto it. But I want to point out the kind of the joy that arises from like your ethics is inherently connected with awakening. Because it's a kind of uh, a, a joy that's going to lead to the, the mind and the heart letting go in a way that it can open up to this, this deeper sense of, of, of liberation. And that's why we have these lists of, of cultivating things like ethics, cultivating the, the mindfulness and the concentration, compassion and loving kindness, because they lead onward in this direction. So I want to point out some other arenas where we can, we can notice these beautiful qualities of mind, these beautiful qualities of heart. Noticing the wholesome. Different arenas where we can confess to happiness. And, and I want to say, even in a relationship to the difficulties, even to the dukkha dukkha, I think at times you can find the wholesome, the beautiful, in a way that can really uh, open up. One example of this last last month, I was doing this this teacher teaching residency in New Mexico, and for some reason, I was in this state it must have lasted for three or four days where I was having these i'll just be honest with you i was I was really feeling overwhelmed I was really feeling overwhelmed just with the suffering of the world there was some difficulties in kind of immediate communities around um racism and oppression, and then just so many of the, the, the conflicts that are going on right now. And I would just find myself in the middle of the day feeling overwhelmed. And then uh, something w- would start to happen, which is really quite interesting, usually on the, luckily on the downslope of this, <laughs> as I was doing my best just to navigate it was that if I could start to bring a little bit of mindfulness to it and also a little bit of a quality of equanimity, compassion would start to arise out of the overwhelm. And I, I couldn't tell you, I really couldn't say that it was pleasant, that, that the experience became more pleasant, but what happened is there was this expanding of capacity of being able to be with that, with this beautiful quality of heart of compassion. And what I needed to do to help stabilize that was just to savor that quality of compassion that was arising out of the overwhelm. And so it was this, again, this beautiful quality of heart or mind that was there right in the middle of an unpleasant experience. You might find the same thing. You're having a... a, It could be a physical pain in your knee. It could be a quality of sadness or some difficult emotion. And there is at least a quality of mindfulness or a little bit of okayness that you find on the edges to notice that, to bring that in, because it can allow for a way of navigating the dukkha dukkha or the difficulties that could be arising. And I want to get a little bit more detail about this because I find this really helpful, especially dealing with physical pain or emotional pain, especially in the... um, both in the sitting meditation, walking meditation, or between times. And that's to have this this sense of moving, um, let's say, let's take a physical pain, it could be emotional pain, let's say there's a pain in the knee, where I allow my awareness to come to the edges of the pain, and I feel the edges of those unpleasant sensations. And then what I do is I allow the awareness to move away from that to something in my body that's more pleasant or neutral. And I notice that, I become curious about that. And then I move back to that which is unpleasant. And what it can do for the mind is it can help, again, cultivate the capacity to be with both. It's a way of, of really expanding our capacity to be with the difficult. It can be the same with any kind of emotional difficulty. You're, you're feeling a, a, an intense emotion come up, and you can notice it, but it's very unpleasant. Sometimes what I'll do is I'll come back to a little bit about what Joseph was talking about. Oh, there is a body. And in particular, for me, it's the feeling of the stability of my body, for example, if I'm sitting. Or if I'm walking, the feeling of the body moving, having it just reside in that, con- that container. Can you use that to touch in and out of the difficulties? And, and one thing about uh, all of this is that that I want to make sure to, to remind you again that, that this is a skill, this is an art that I'm encouraging you to, to explore. And there's certain things that come with a skill or art that I think are important to remember. And one thing, this comes from, to me, someone who is quite an artist or was, was uh, Michael Jordan. Great basketball player. He was an amazing athlete. I think he really perfected something, really gained this skill, this beauty. And somebody asked him how he succeeded in uh, becoming such a, a, a phenomenal basketball player. And so he describes this, and I think he's only talking about his professional career here. He says, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career, I've lost almost 300 games. This is the, the one that really gets me. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that, that is why I succeed. I mean, There's a side note. I can't imagine being in front of probably hundreds of thousands of people and somebody gives you a basketball and says, you need to make this shot. <laughs> and then missing. (laughs) This is what we're involved in. One refinement, and I wanna make a distinction here from basketball, because in basketball, we just got the small small hoop, and you either make it or you don't. And this is a little bit different skill than you could say basketball, (laughs) in case you haven't noticed. And to me, it's much more like an art. It reminds me of when I was, uh, I used to, you could say in a past life, I used to uh, play clarinet in a jazz band, which I loved. Um, And it was the skill of learning how to improvise. And what would happen with the improvisation, it wasn't like one night I would get it right and the other night I would get it wrong. It would be more, one night I was more in the flow and one night I was a little bit less in the flow. So it's more the sense of this, this a little bit being more in there or less in there. So it's not in this realm of what I call um, a, a right and wrong. So this is not about, for example, the world of right and wrong is uh, like mathematics, 4 plus 4. What does 4 plus 4 equal? It equals 8. And if you were thinking 9 or 7, you're wrong. <laughs> but if you're thinking 8, you're right. But that's not this world. It's not the world of right and wrong. The skill we're learning. It's more the skill of like learning how to improvise. It's an art like that. And I name that so so that you 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 can be aware of the mind that gets trapped in right and wrong. And remembering this this takes a while to be easy on yourself. Sometimes I think if there's a pleasant experience happening and. There's 60% of the mind that's involved in savoring and 40% grasping. Eh, That's pretty good. (laughs) You know, (laughs) take what you can get. So this ease, we're not looking to be perfect. We're looking to be artists in this way. And then I want to end with uh, another place where we can find the, the depths of the beautiful, the depths of the wholesome the depths of what it really is to confess to happiness. And this is the joy of insight, the joy of seeing through habitual conditioning, and what a powerful thing it is for ourselves in the world that we live in. This is around the kind of habitual conditioning around gender. This happened at a time where I thought I had I don't had really explored a little bit about my relationship to gender or or how I had been conditioned by it in terms of the stories I'd been given about what it is to be a man and how confining that is which was uh, important um uh, very important just in terms of living in this world but it took another step and this happened uh probably just over 10 years ago I was actually I was in Boston and some of you might know this area, uh, Jamaica Plain, which is a neighborhood in Boston, and I was uh, hanging out with a friend who was living in Jamaica Plain, <clears throat> and we went to this uh, this event called uh, Gender Crash, and maybe some of you went to this this event at some point. It was it was a great event. It was a weekly open mic night uh, where the queer, transgender, and queer gender communities would would offer poetry, and or other forms of the spoken word. And it was wonderful. It was it was it was so delightful just to to hear just these wonderful performances. And what was so interesting is that I could see how my mind um, was habituated. That that here were these these people coming up and sharing these really powerful poems and other and other um, uh, sharings. And how my mind would sometimes again. Uh, it would pop up these little tiny boxes of man, woman. It was such a, a powerful thing to see. Oh, here is this mind that's been habituated by this binary gender thing, where it's always placing people in these two little boxes. And in some ways it was painful because what was inherent of that is the kind of oppression that comes when our minds do this to each other. And not only to each other, but to ourselves. Yet that night was also the freedom. The freedom of seeing that. And that's what we're doing here. Is just with the seeing of that, the mind, the mind releases itself from this habitual conditioning. It can see the oppression that it's habituated to around ourselves and others in so many different ways. and then begin to release from it by simply seeing it. And I I wanna point out on this retreat, we have so many opportunities to see the kind of the stories, these little boxes that come up around the stories or the worlds that these minds create, or the selves, the kind of different kinds of selves that arise that are so oppressive in the same way. They oppress ourselves and they oppress others. And yet, when we see them, when we see them, there are more minds in this world that are not engaged in such oppression. It brings a freedom to this troubled world that we're living. And, and that's truly why I'm so moved by what you're doing here, is because for me, what you're doing here, when you're struggling with all the states of mind that are rising and passing away, being here. It's, it's addressing the roots of the dukkha, dukkha of this world, the roots of the oppression that we find all over this world. And, we, and when we address them in this way by seeing them, freedom can blossom. So may this deepest joy, this deepest kind of beauty, may this deepest kind of confession to happiness lead to the liberation of all beings, lead to the unshakable deliverance of the mind. So let's sit for a minute.